This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. We will also explore threats to meaningful engagement in sport and movement culture practices and ask questions about what we can learn about the human condition through our involvement in sport. The guests are leading scholars in human and social sciences of sport who will share their explorations in a scholarly as well as a personal context. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Today's episode continues explorations of meaning and value of physical education in young people's lives that were initiated in a previous episode on Meaningful Physical Education Project launched by dear Training Cronin and Tim Fletcher. Today, our discussion is shaped by a critical perspective, and there will be some critical discussions on some of the well-established ideas, such as fun as an essential element of good PE, and whether and how sport supports positive youth development. Our guest is the founder and director of the Center for Physical Education, Sport and Activity that sits in the School of Education at Kingston University. The center's mission is to make physical education, sport and physical activity meaningful, relevant and wonderful for all young people by aligning excellent teaching, research and practice. In addition to his university work, our guest also launched the MyMove app in 2019, which will be the topic of the second part of this episode later on. MyMove is an app that allows practitioners to support young people in developing a physical activity habit and provides the data for schools to monitor impact, review and celebrate their work in PE and sport. For more information, please listen to the second part of the episode later on and you can also access the website mymoveapp.com. Thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to the podcast, Greg Trier. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You've done so much different work in physical education for a very long time from, from doing the actual teaching yourself to and educating physical education teachers. So it would be really nice to have us uh, start for our discussion, just some reflections on your journey in, in physical education and how your thoughts and, and your philosophy around that has developed over the years. Well, yeah, that's a big question. And uh, I, I guess um, certainly in the UK, we, we're not the best at reflecting, well, at talking about our journeys. Um, and it's, it's difficult to know where to start because I think it's always evolving. Um, 
And well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that my, my, my working life has been very privileged in many ways. My non-working life has been very privileged too. Um, I've, I was really lucky to, to have a good university uh, course, not because it was a particularly elite university, although I think it would probably claim to be so, but it was because uh, I had a, I really valued having four years to learn about physical education, which is a pathway which is uh, not open to many people in the UK anymore, uh, mainly because it's expensive to run. So during that time, I, I think that really laid the foundation for my future work. And I knew that I wanted to work in inner London. I was originally from London and um, I went to university out of London and I wanted to return specifically to working in London, which you know, looking back, I, I get now the sort of uh, traditions that I was following and uh, I would indeed critique some of those traditions around, um, I think it was born partly out of philanthropy, I, th I guess, if I'm honest, looking back. And I think some of that's a little bit, but it's, it's paternalistic and potentially patronising now. So whether whether me now would have made the same decisions for the same reasons as me at 20-something, I, I don't know. Um, so I then went to work in, in inner London, and that really shaped my thinking. I learned very, very quickly. I always maintain that I probably learned far more from the young people I was meant to be teaching than what they learned from me. Um, my, what, one of the things at the time of working in inner London is that teachers' careers tended to progress quickly, if not a bit too quickly. So very early in my career, I was managing a team and managing a curriculum area. And I had to come to grips with, with really early thinking around, well, what's relevant to the young people? Young people who had were leading a very different life to the life I was having at their age uh, in, in every respect. And that's why I say I learned much more about what's relevant in their life. And I didn't necessarily get it all right. I think the last few years of my 16 years teaching in London, I think I got much better, um, maybe even quite good at it. Um, and then I moved into teacher education uh, at university also in middle of London and then moved to my current position four years ago at Kingston University. And on the way, when I stopped teaching in schools, um, my partner and I, we, we were both, well, we both had young kids and, and I, I was professionally really interested in the big conversation at the time. We're talking about the 2005 to 2009, lots of conversation, lots of work coming through on movement competency and what's, what merged into physical literacy. And, uh, but I, I, I was really interested in how children learn to move and about transferable movement patterns. Uh, and I'm still reasonably interested in that. I think we might have overplayed it a little bit. My thinking has moved on. Um, but I thought at the time we can unlock the wonders of physical activity by ensuring that young children learn to move better. Uh, as I say, I still think that's a key part of the jigsaw. I think there's other bits that are very, very important too. Um, so we started working uh, in, a, in a private capacity because that's the only way we could do that. And we started looking at what programs would look like with working with three to seven year olds originally. Um, so very different to the secondary school young people I was working with. Uh, and we would just hire halls and 
I would just try lots of uh, different approaches that tried to blend a, a, a pedagogy that that re was really driven by play. Um, and um, I guess what is now referred to what would now be called purposeful play. So I could sort of make sense of it now that I've been in university for 13 years. And again, another privilege to be paid to read and think and write and and teach. Um, and looking back, yeah, what I was doing was purposeful play with clear movement outcomes. Uh, and we ran that for uh, 14 years until last year, actually. Um, so I learned loads working with with very young children. And now I've worked with postgrads. So, yeah, I've worked with three three year olds to, I guess, 43 year olds, if not a bit older occasionally. So, yeah, it's, it really has been a privilege. And. And it continues to be. I continue to talk to really interesting people and learn loads from from the community, really. And you mentioned that the idea or concept of play is, is is central to that. And then you mentioned moving to this idea about purposeful play. So maybe you can expand a little bit on what that entails. Yeah, well, um, like a lot of people moving to teacher education and into higher education, I've probably become a much better teacher since I stopped working full time in school. I never really perceived myself as a conversation I have with uh, uh, my close team at university about are, are we still teachers? And my close colleague Alex thinks that uh, he's, he's just transitioned from school to university. Sort of a personal identity is shifted. I, I've never let go of the fact that it's at, at the very core of everything we do is is being an educator. And being a physical educator specifically and I think would I say the best yeah I think I'd probably back myself to say the richest environment for learning is is a play environment um, as a young as a young adult sports person certainly the contextualized meaningful activities that I uh, that we were given by our coaches were always far better we had far better intensity if I'm talking about learning from performance sport um, much better intensity as a soccer team when when we had uh, playful or play oriented practices to engage with um, so that and then as a as a parent seeing children flourish in play reinforce that uh, now um, I would be an advocate and you know, I get that not everyone buys into it, but I'll, I'll be an advocate that uh, play should be, uh, and by play, I, I would mean contextualised um, activities where there's clear, but uh, a, a clear purpose where it, it means something. We don't always know what's meaningful to all the kids who are in front uh, in in a class, um, but I think. Play-based activities, game-based activities, if we want to use a particular pedagogy that refers to particular activity areas, uh, i.e. games. But, you know, um, Richard Light's work in taking that approach and putting it into non-games through positive pedagogy is very much what I would buy into, what I would advocate with the trainees I work with. That's not to say we never come out of games. Uh, we never come out of play. We never come out of contextualised practices. I think there there has to be a time and a place to do that, but that's driven by the needs of the of the learners. Um, so yeah, I think play is is just so rich in learning possibilities and outcomes. 
And now I think we don't really need to come out of it. I, I think it should be the dominant mode uh, well into secondary school. And this, this is the other thing that, you know, we have lots of conversations about when is it appropriate. And it's almost always associated with very young children. And in the UK, you know, we start children younger than any other nation in Europe with uh, informal education. The, the young children are in class in, uh, in uh, four or five years of age. So play is always associated with that, what we call key stage one, that, that four to seven-year-old age group. But I, I, I think it's absolutely appropriate all the way through teenage years and even in, in a sporting context. One of my favourite YouTube videos was watching uh, the Spanish football team when they were uh, by far and away the best football team in the world. And playing, they were playing a game called Chain Tag. I don't know if you ever saw it. Chain Tag in their warm-up. Um, and yeah, of course, there's purposeful play, there's change of direction, there's acceleration, deceleration, all the movement uh -huh. competencies that they're drawing upon. It just happens to be being developed in a play-based setting rather than in a decontextualized drill-based uh, context. Yeah, well, I guess we might be actually witnessing kind of this return to play or introduction of playing also for adults. If we think of the lifestyle sports and how they are becoming more popular, we can think about parkour, for example. Yeah. That is, that's maybe the one that I have some experience of when I've done some of that. And so you have groups for beginners who are all adults and, and everybody's just having fun and playing. And, and it's completely different from some of the more traditional sports in, in terms of how it's done and how people approach it. Yeah, of course, and there, uh, yeah, I think there, there is a connotation that play can be informal, um, and but I think play can also be quite formalised, and I, um, I absolutely accept and agree that adult engagement in in physical activity and sport is, you know, is transitioning. Of course, the pandemic is going to have a huge impact; has had a huge impact. How we come out of that, uh, who who knows? But certainly, you know, seeing the rise of less formal engagement uh, and i'd put point to park run not necessarily playful but much less formal and, and the adventure racing and spartan racing which is is you know there's something returned to um you know childhood in in, in seeing um, adults engaging in that sort of uh, collaborative exercises real challenges quite difficult physical challenges at times so um, but I'd also question probably, Nora, why why play is always associated with fun. And this is another ongoing discussion in our office um, uh -huh. around the role of fun. And uh, personally, I, I question our pull towards going to fun, um, the, the prevalence that fun has in our discourse. Uh, and I'm not as... And I just question within physical education specifically whether that's necessarily a healthy thing. And I know it makes me sound like an absolute killjoy, and that's not where I'm coming from. Um, I, ju I just don't know why we give it such a high status. And I know, you, you know, if you're talking about me, um, to Deirdre and Tim around meaningful PE, and I, I work with a guy who I mentioned before, Alex, who who is um, has done quite uh, quite a lot of work with Deirdre and Tim, and uh, and that's um, an ongoing conversation that we have. Uh, should fun 
be there as one of the, those pillars. Yeah, I mean, that's quite fascinating. Like one of the scholars I've drawn on in some of my work is uh, Ro Bymaster, and his take on it is that we have kind of two different end goals to life and it would be happiness and meaning and Mm -hmm. and i guess happiness is more about kind of having good time and positive emotions and Mm -hmm. and feeling good in the moment whereas meaning would be something that is more sometimes you are exerting a lot of effort and and you are committing to something for a long term and sometimes it's not a lot of fun at all but it's it's meaningful for you so yeah, yeah, I guess that somehow connects to what you are talking about. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it does. Um, and uh, yeah, likewise, I've, I'm I'm fascinated by the work of some of the behaviour economists, um, and uh, th- that thing comes up a lot there, uh, as it does indeed with philosophy generally on purpose and meaning of life. And but I think it can have. In interesting and unwanted knock-on effect if we and I'm talking I guess here the context is in schools school-based physical education and if if we keep attaching ourselves to fun um, I wonder whether we keep perpetuating the notion that physical education is relatively low status something which I think most physical educators are acutely aware of and I, I, I I, I certainly was um, as a teacher that the work that we do isn't always perceived to be as serious as the work of our colleagues in in the math classroom or the science classroom, and and I, I absolutely un- appreciate that people that we need to put young people into very positive environments, but I'm not even sure that positive is the same as fun, and I think young people can find meaning if that's you know what the 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 title of the podcast i think they can find meaning in lots of emotional responses some of which seem to me to be much deeper than fun which always strikes me as a quite a superficial response um and yeah i know know that there's reasonable amount written on on this um theme and I, i just don't find it a very useful term in that sense not only does it give low status, it's very, very hard to define. It's very hard to know what is fun for seven-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 15-year-olds. We know fun probably changes during the life course of childhood and adolescence, let alone into adulthood. So how do I use that as a teacher to create something that is fun? Well, I, I, I'm not sure. Should the young people be enjoying the learning? Yeah, but surely that's a default. That's a default response uh, for any education. Why would you want to create a task that's void of enjoyment? Um, I don't know, unless, of course, you were teaching young people how to respond emotionally to things in the absence of enjoyment, which is there's probably some valid learning in those messages and in those, le- uh, those lessons away from being pulled back to fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, we can problematize what what's the value of fun and what what it means. But um, I guess if we start talking about meaning and meaningful mm-hmm. experience, that would be something that, mm. as dear Trentim also in their episode would point out, that that's something that probably physical educators have been striving towards. It's difficult to think of a physical educator who is not 
striving to facilitate meaningful experiences. But then how does that actually happen and, and our understandings of what those meaningful experiences might be? I think there we are quite uncertain about what it is and, and what should we do around that. So, and now their work is obviously kind of centralizing this question about meaning, meaningfulness. How yeah. does it happen? So, yeah, I would love to hear your your thoughts on that. You have certainly thought about these questions for for quite a long time. Um, well, you know, I'm flattered that you'd want to hear my thoughts and that you'd want to broadcast them. But um, what's um, well, I think it's really, really difficult. Let's, let's start with that. This is challenging and it's complex. And I think it it requires deep thought. I think it requires, you know, the thing I love about the the meaningful PE work is that it, it's joined up thinking. It's applied thinking. There's the space for the researcher and the academic. And there's the space for the practitioner to uh, both cross roles and to absolutely collaborate. And I don't think we can have any progress on engaging more young people positively in physical activity until we really, then until that becomes the absolute default position. I don't think we could really sustain academics doing their things and practitioners doing their things and never the two meet. So this is really difficult. And then you've got the huge question of where do we go for inspiration and, and evidence and research in order to to bring that into the space that is PE. Um, because there's, you know, one, one of the things that I've learned in the last few years is we can draw inspiration from so many different fields to contribute to meaningfulness. So one of the big challenges and, and probably the weaknesses if we're coming from a critical perspective, starting off with the problematization and then looking at um, constructive solutions, if, the, if, if there is such a thing as a solution is, that we've been, we've been taking policy and practice from such a small cross-section of society for so long that has absolutely shaped what physical education has become, what it, how it's constructed, the meaning that's attached to it, the values and the outcomes that are attached to it. I mean, you only have to look at the purpose of study statement. I know this is a bit jargonistic, but the, 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 in England and Wales, there's a national curriculum and the purpose of study says what is the purpose of PE and it's a, it's one paragraph it's a six seven line paragraph but highly highly problematic and it's it's born out of a very specific ideology that's both gendered and classed and raced and it all comes together in those seven sentences so what does that mean sorry it's three sentences seven lines um mm -hmm. what does that mean for young people who are not from that gender class or race background or, or, or who have disabilities or who just not like the people writing it. So our policy makers and our influences have been, you know, there's a wonderful academic um, down in Kent called Mike Weed. And we, we use his, his, his work a lot. And he, he talks about physical education and sport. In fact, he talks more about sport as being driven by evangelism and myopia that we're short-sighted and we think that we've got this panacea this all-powerful cure for all ills so therefore we have to we push a very specific version of it 
So how do we find meaning? Well, if we're looking at disciplines, we have to understand the the meanings that the young people themselves are bringing. And of course, that's going to be born out of their lived experiences. It's going to be born out of their cultural and embraced experiences and their gendered experiences. So we, we have to be expert at so many different things. And we, we, we grapple with this and challenge our trainees all the time. They, they start, they tend to start thinking that a PE teacher has to know loads about the activities that they're teaching. And I'm not saying that they don't. They're actually much better knowing a lot about the activities they're teaching. But that's just a really small part of the story. Do you really know loads about the socio and the psychological context in which the learners are coming? Do we really know loads about their their meaning making? And that's that's a hell of a journey to go on with with the youngsters. Incredibly fulfilling if we if and when we get it right. Uh, very challenging. But yeah, if we, if if the long term goal, uh, well, not the long term, the universal goal. I've never ever met a physical educator who doesn't pay lip service to their rationale, their purpose is something to do with long term participation. You know, we set our stall out to be a lifestyle subject. We're trying to influence behaviour. Again, you know, we can really problematise that in itself. Is that a valid uh, and a warranted statement is it do we have authority to to want to change behavior even though we think that the behaviors that we're trying to peddle are genuinely good um a very difficult question and i, I was i was talking to um uh, andy vasily last week about about that i mean are we authorized to actually do that um but let's just assume for the purpose of the conversation that we are, that is our job, that's what we're going for. Gosh, what a what a range of things we need to be expert on if we're going to deliver on that hugely lofty and ambitious goal. Um, it's a bit scary, really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think those are the fundamental questions that we really have to ask in terms of who is in the position of power and and the official discourse like even if we have all kinds of crises in sport and like the elite sport crisis and all that, still the official discourse is that sport is the source of everything good or sport, exercise, physical activity, physical education. Those are the sources of everything good. And we just have to get people moving and then, you know, world is going to be a fantastic place. So that's kind of, we need to, First, start yeah. with that ideology and start deconstructing a little bit. Yeah, we really do. But, you know, that's um, you know, rightly or wrongly, what I think is probably wrongly, you know, discourse analysis and the ability to unpick discourse is, is something which we bump into the very higher ends of formal education. Um, and that, that, of course, that's not to say people don't express an opinion, don't form opinion, don't have very valid opinions, don't feel, uh, do, do not uh, do not articulate often really wonderfully well. Sometimes much better than academics. That yeah, there is a mismatch between policy and practice. You know, the communities that I used to work with and serve as a teacher, um, you know, they would know and and tell you very clearly 
when policy didn't meet their needs or when policy was from a very different place and it's like you have are you joking like that that's not me that's not my life um so yeah people do articulate that because they live that but as professionals um the way we train teachers to critically analyze and engage with policy and practice um I, i'm not sure i'm not sure we necessarily get that right i think we leave it too late um certainly academically we leave it too late a lot of our trainees would come from uh typically from sports science first degrees and i've got nothing against sports science i don't necessarily think it's the best prep preparation or sometimes has anything to do with physical education but nevertheless that's where they come from so on all of a sudden we're asking them we're challenging challenging them to think drawing upon skills of critical pedagogy and critical social science um and you know as educators ourselves we obviously need to know what their starting point is and then how to structure and support them in making sense of it otherwise if we're not careful we end up talking very very different languages and we see very glazed faces in front of us um so yeah the, the the what what's the appropriate initial and ongoing conversations uh sorry uh um uh knowledges that that people in the field whether they're teaching or coaching i i, I take inspiration for some wonderful uh, practitioners and some wonderful um academics but in particular i've got huge respect for for teachers who take themselves often very self-motivated are down that self-study route because they're looking at the classes in front of them uh, and i can relate to this i think i was in that position and looking and thinking you know what something's not working right here and and being able to interrogate that seek answers or possible answers um and requires asking the right question in the first place and and you know i think if i've learned anything over the last few years is is asking the question is is just so important and sometimes very difficult as you said you know we just go with the flow so much because it's presented as wholly good and you know we we don't we 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 hardly ever have a conversation when i'm working with a, a lot of people going into primary education and we, we they have a woefully inadequate one day of pe so we try and unpick well what is pe and what we're we doing it for i've never worked in that context where um health and obesity specifically hasn't been flagged up and i think they're very complicated relationships you know to explore well what is the relationship between pe and obesity uh, is there even one but as you said it's it's so embedded in a common sensical knee jerk response figures suggest um, you know and if you read people like david kirk even question the phrase obesity epidemic i think john evans also questions that that language yeah. but if mm -hmm. if we if we just go with accepting that, that there is something going on with obesity it's such knee jerk response oh great bump that over to pe get the kids to run more you know in the in england and wales now well in, in lots of countries now but it started in scotland actually We've got this thing they're called a daily mile where children are uh, given 15 minutes it's meant to be daily but let's just say they go three days a week 
15 minutes in school and they, they go they run or walk and you know if you go to the daily mile website you see uh, the head teacher who started it specifically saying in the first couple of sentences i noticed the children were less fit and were gaining weight so i made them run every day um the evidence base you know if it's presented and it's robust you know i'll say great you know that and and for me the evidence base and the outcomes would have to be are we turning more kids onto physical activity so that they they embed that as a normal and habitual part of their life as a very positive part of their life an aspect that helps them flourish in their life um and if if the daily mile is doing that then absolutely great let's go for it but you know malcolm thorburn wrote a beautiful paper i think it was last year where he, he really asks uh, dare i say similar questions to, to the ones you're grappling with on you know what is the evidence base and is it just ideologically driven discourse yeah i mean we discussed about life skills earlier and is yeah. it it's it's a discourse that everybody recognizes that if you play sports or if you're involved in in youth sport you will become a good uh good person in terms of you can manage your time and you can work in teams and and you have a higher hard work ethic and all these things but is it an ideology that we keep repeating it because we have been taught to use this discourse or do we actually know what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I've referred to, um, you know, the National Curriculum uh, Purpose of Study and um, uh, the last sentence in it says, um, opportunities to compete in sport and other activities build character and help to embed values such as fairness and respect. So, you know, there, there's a very clear um, public policy statement that I, I think touches upon the themes that you, you're referring to. It, for me, the, the absence of the word might takes that to a really different place. If they're saying opportunities to compete in sport might build character or can contribute or in certain circumstances can but they, they, it's presented as an absolute truth, and mm. um, and and again, that comes from a very very specific place. And so asking questions around that, you know, Lance Armstrong did an awful lot of sport. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he always exhibited fairness and respect. Um, mm. And if it was an absolute truth, you wouldn't be able to find exceptions to it. I mean, absolutely. So the next question is to ask, well, for whom and and where and, and in what kind of circumstances as well. And I think that's a big thinking of this meaningfulness research in, in sport and physical education. And obviously we haven't got very far, but we haven't really addressed issues about gender, class, equality of opportunity all these different intersecting identities that will have an impact on what kind of experience young people will have in sport and we should not automatically assume that that sport will be a meaningful experience it might but it might not yeah absolutely and uh, you know i was you know people have their own journeys and find their own ways in and um 
you know, I, those those questions really came to the fore a, a few years ago when um, I, I was really intrigued by the work of. Uh, it started off with a guy in the UK actually called David Gilborn, who who writes on education from a, a critical perspective, a critical race perspective, and that led me to explore some of the sources of his his inspiration uh, from the US and some wonderful uh, critical educators in the US, uh, in particular a woman called Gloria Ladson Billin, and um, uh, and then that's been drawn into physical education. Um, uh, a, a colleague and friend of mine, Shrihan Lynch, is uh, embracing crit critical intersectional work in her in her work and then uh, Laura Azarito and um, uh, uh, Dawn Penny. There's some wonderful work that's beginning to ask the question, but when you look at PE and, and probably sport as well, uh, you know, Kevin Hilton's bringing that into sport. Why are we behind the curve on that? And, you know, there was this, this was, these were lively uh, and important conversations that started a long time ago. Now, I get it takes a time to for new knowledge to filter into different disciplines and subject areas. But if we're going to look at those really big questions that you flag up around who's benefiting, who's not benefiting, why is the resourcing and the outcome so uh, unevenly and inequitably distributed, then we have to ask those very difficult and sometimes very uncomfortable questions because in our own way, whether we're working as researchers or whether we're working on in the um, in the front line, working with young people, you know, we we're either part of the problem or we're trying to um, work towards a solution. And you could, probably can't be both. Um, and and so, it, I think there is a very valid question: why why I, I don't know if it's a UK thing. The reading reading work from from uh, other countries, it seems to be, it seems to be quite universal that there is a reluctance uh, and a conservatism within physical education, and, and I don't know. Maybe you, you correct me if uh, if I'm wrong, but sports seems to be slightly more um, forward thinking uh, in places. I, I don't know. Maybe that's a ridiculous statement to make, but when I entered the profession. As the PE community tended to see themselves as somewhat more progressive, and we would look to sport somewhat disparagingly and without doubt with a degree of snobbery. And we've, over the course of my career, I think the pendulum has absolutely swung. If I want to look for really good, child centered, uh, engaging pedagogy, I, I go to some of the big governing bodies and they're uh, their official coaching um, manuals and, and, and philosophies. Uh, now, whether that plays out, if I pitch up at a soccer club or a rugby club uh, week in, week out, working with uh, where, where inevitably we have volunteer coaches, the logistics of coach education is incredibly challenging there. But nevertheless, if I, if I want to look for that sort of child learner-centered, athlete-centered pedagogy, uh, there's certainly some brilliant stuff that's being developed in sport. 
Um, if I want to see, you know, sometimes part of my role is going into schools and um, we're working to support training teachers and mentors. And, you know, if I want to see some PE that absolutely replicates, looks exactly the same as the physical education I had, um, you know, 35 years ago as a teenager, I can still see plenty of it in schools. I can see really good practice as well. I can see, you know, a, a minority of, and I, I really don't want to be or sound disparaging at all. I think the structures in which people are operating, I think the way we educate ed, uh, teachers, um, I think the way that they uh, are given uh, autonomy and allowed to be creative, I think there's big structural issues that we have to unpick. I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at all at the individuals who are delivering lessons that look like mine. But if I want to see math, if I go to math class, gosh, the kids are learning math in a very different way to I did 35 years ago. And I think there's huge questions there. Well, why, why has math jumped ahead? And why does a lot of PE look the same? And we, we, need, to, we need to tackle that. Yeah, and I, I think what you already mentioned about PE, that there is a danger that it just becomes physical activity, just having people, young people move more, and then we can ask what is the educational yeah. dimension in that. Yeah, and indeed, um, it's it's what's the purpose of them moving more? And what's the purpose of giving them, you know, movement opportunities in in schools and in other settings. And it, it goes back to that universal claim that what we're trying to do is, is get them to move more for longer, but equipping them with the, the tools, you know, the knowledge, skills and understanding. But again, you know, they're, they're the, that's the tripartite response that we've had for many years, that to move more, you need knowledge, skills and understanding. And uh, these days, in the last few years, actually, I, I'm not sure that is what you need. I think, I think they're important. You're better off having them than not having them. But I think now you need a, a strong emotional connectedness to movement. You probably need strong social bonds within the movement environment so that you feel safe, secure, sense of belonging, connected to the people around you. So I think the social and emotional drivers um now knowledge skills and understanding you can have knowledge about that you can know that you respond better as an individual when you feel a sense of connectedness to those around you but i'm not sure that's what we always mean when we talk about knowledge skills and understanding it tends to be pseudoscience it tends to be um knowledge around health and uh, again over the last well I don't know how long, let's just say 10 years, I, I really question knowledge as a as a behaviour changer. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure that it does change young people's behaviour. I'm not sure it changes adults' behaviour. This assumption that we're, we're driven by rationality as human beings, um, therefore, if you know that physical activity is good for you, you are going to be physically active. I think... That seems a, a, a somewhat dubious assumption. Um, and I'm not sure that there's many active adults whose motivation 
has been born and carried through from when they were 10, 12, 14 years of age into their 40s because when they were 10, somebody told them that it was really good for them. Uh, I think people stay active because they find a deep love for a movement context. Uh, and that and that driver can be such a range of factors, whether it be the people, whether it be the place. I think it probably is how you learn to identify with yourself in that movement context. Are you feeling strong or successful or confident or comfortable? Is there a degree of self-efficacy going on there? So again, we're drawing upon that psychosocial domain as uh, essential knowledge for people working in this field. Um, so yeah, I question rationality and uh, I think we really underplay the uh, effective emotional domain um, uh, when it comes to supporting behaviours. Yeah, I, I think this would be a wonderful roundup for our our part one and, and the more theoretical discussion. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.